Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. On this episode of the Open Trailer Podcast, we head over to the mid-coast of Maine to cover one of the most decorated characters in that part of the state, Dale Chadbourne. Dale is a member of the Wiscasset Hall of Fame, the Maine Motorsports Hall of Fame, and is extremely instrumental in the fact that Wiscasset Speedway is even running today. We'll hear that story. Also, where's the best place to sit at Wiscasset? Dale has some insight on that. And joining me on these two episodes will be the man when it comes to Wiscasset Speedway. Ken Monnet is a walking encyclopedia. He is the promoter, race announcer, and general manager of the facility, and he has some great insight on Dale. Now, before we start, I want to thank everyone who has checked out MainVintageRace.org for the first time. In the first few weeks of the Open Trailer Podcast, many new members have joined, and we appreciate you. You can also make a one-time donation to MVRCA by going to MainVintageRace.org. This podcast directs directly supports that organization. You can become a member for less than $2 a month. Racing is a family sport, so you can purchase a family membership, and there are multi-year memberships as well. You can directly support this podcast. Consider it a tip jar. If you enjoy what you hear, go to patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. The money raised goes directly into production and equipment to make this whole thing possible. But before we get into Dale... If you've never heard of him, just listen for the next 25, 30 minutes. You're going to learn a lot about a man who, uh, geez, this guy is full of stories. And I wanted to bring in uh, Ken Monat, the uh, promoter and general manager of Wiscasset Speedway. When it comes to uh, Wiscasset, what does Dale Chadbourne mean to this community? Dale's a fixture. Um, he, he's he been at this track. He's been on this track since before it actually opened. Mm. He has been a racer. He's been a car owner. He's been a builder, a fabricator. He's even been a promoter. He actually had a significant part in saving this track more than once uh most recently in 2011 so he's had his hands in every part of this racetrack survival and i'm sure we'll get to it during the uh during the episode but it was just dale and one other person that essentially resurrected or 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 started to resurrect wiscasset speedway yeah he and tony true got together and uh they were worried that the town would make this, you know, or change the ordinances so mm-hmm. that the track would not be able to continue as a racetrack. So, because you had to have one event, per one year? event per year mm-hmm. to continue it, the, its viability as a racetrack. So they get together, clean the place up. They get a whole bunch of volunteers together, clean the track up, and decided got permission to put on one event. Uh, which they did in October of 2011, and uh, just to accomplish that, but also to showcase the potential of the track to a potential buyer. One of the cool things about Dale, he is such a storyteller. 
Yeah, he's he's a throwback. He's seen it all. He's he's still involved today, so he he knows uh, what keeps today's racer going. But he's a throwback also to racers of the '60s, um, and it's so much different back then. Building your own engines, fabricating your own cars. Mm. The open trailer concept, bringing the mm. car to the racetrack, uh, coming back to this podcast. But uh, he's literally seen it all, so he's got some really cool stories. Let's dig in. How did you get into this racket to begin uh, with? In that blue album right there, there's a number 24 car, and that's Delma Stinson from Beach Ridge. And he was one of my neighbors, trying to find out where the race car was. And I'd hop on the bicycle and head down the road. By the time I'd get not too far down the road, because the race car had shut off. So <laughs> eventually, I figured out where the race car was, and because uh, they they were decent guys and didn't mind a young punk hanging out with them. So that's how I get started in racing. They told me that you would go to races at Beechridge, but you weren't old enough to get into the pit. So share <laughs> with folks how they smuggled you into the racetrack. Well, Dell had a, a early 60s Ford van that he hauled the race car with and everything just got thrown into it with a stack of slicks and whatever needed to be in there. So I was a little guy when I was a teenager still and didn't, probably didn't weigh 100 pounds. So they'd take me and stuff me down inside this stack of slicks inside the truck. And they'd get out and sign in at the gate and when they'd get back into the van... I'd stick my hand out on top of the stack of slicks and they'd take their hand and roll it on mine and I would get the Beach Ridge stamp for the night. (laughs) Well, if they'd ever looked, because it was backwards, but nobody ever looked. And and it wasn't hard to tell. I wasn't supposed to be in the Beach Ridge pits. I was a kid. Things get done up there that needed to be done. and Right, and they brought you in to uh, get into the small places in the car that the, yep. uh, the bigger guys couldn't reach? If if we needed to change the transmission, somebody small had to get inside the car and take the tunnel out of the car to get to the transmission bolts. And that was my job. And we that was something that happened. We used to cut input shafts off the transmissions all the time. Were you mechanically inclined before then? Yeah, I, before I was brought then? up on a farm, you know. There was tractors, trucks. I started driving at 11. Yeah. I mean, on the road. It's just the way it was back then. Yeah. I'm a farm kid, too, so yeah, yeah I know Go exactly from farm to farm, and there was one sheriff in the whole county. Saginaw Hawk's a big county, so you'd, and if you met him, he'd wave to you and keep on going. That's the way we lived. So this got you the, 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 the racing bug. This got yeah. you the itch. Where did it go from there? Uh, well, I raced with Delpha. Till this place opened. This was a lot closer, and Delmo was getting out of it. He was getting married, settling down. But before you could race, you, you were still had your hands in helping to build cars and, and motors. and Most everything I did before here, I did with Delma. Yeah. Delma and Dave Kayla. Yeah. Now, I I had the privilege of inducting you into the Hall of Fame, and one of the neatest <clears throat> stories I think we, we touched on briefly, but you can elaborate on it here, was building the engine in your bedroom um at how old were you 15 16 uh, i had to be you know, I was 17 or 18 because i started racing here when it the season had opened and i was 18 then yeah so i had i had started building a car but it was too cold in the garage to work so i started working on the motor i got the motor done before i did the car and that's how i ended up Bud Greenleaf was had built a Chevrolet and he'd always been a Ford man. 
he also owned that car that Skipka Hill has in that book. They they tried running the Chevrolet and they couldn't keep a motor in the car. And he knew I had a motor that I had built for my new car, but I didn't have the car done. So one day I looked out and he was dragging a car up the road with a dump truck and uh, left it in my dooryard. So that week I put my new motor into his old car and that's what I started racing here with. Yeah, but how did you manage to build an entire race motor in your bedroom without your parents knowing about well, it? Well, it's it's easy to get all the parts in there. It's 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 you know the block is the biggest part, and I was fairly I was a farm boy. I worked every day, so I lugged the block up the stairs when nobody was home. So it wasn't unusual to see you walking in and out of the house with parts. Oh no! <laughs> like I say, it was a farmhouse. I mean, there were sheep in the kitchen. Yeah. But this was all done when mom and dad weren't home. Yeah. Yeah, they were workers and they either out in the fields. Or- so I'm looking at some of your early photos here, and uh, Wiscasset has Hot Top. Did you race the first year that they had the track? Yeah. What was it like jumping on that facility? You actually raced on this track before it had Hot Top. <laughs> oh. Share that one, buddy. <laughs> what do you want to hear first? <laughs> Anything that you want to dish out. Well, because we found out there was going to be a new racetrack in Wiscasset. And I had just gotten my license and stuff. And the word was that Wilford was, there was a, there used to be a road that came in on the three and four turn so that Wilford didn't have to bring the dirt all the way down around and come in. It was, it shut, it cut this hill right off here. So we found out that there was a new racetrack. And we come and checked it out one day and figured out that that race, that road would get us in to the racetrack at night so at night when Wolford was in here and sleeping we'd come in on the access road on the three and four turn and run on the dirt track before it was even paved there was no grandstands or anything it was just the racetrack so when we'd see the lights come on in the house we knew Wolford was up (laughs) and he was on his way out to the racetrack because he didn't want people on his new racetrack we didn't we were kids we didn't figure out that you know he probably spent 10 hours that day grading the racetrack and uh, so we'd come in here at night and run around the dirt track but then october of 68 they throw a nice coat of pavement on this place what was it like to you had obviously had experience at Beechridge seeing the racing there and such but brand new high bank racetrack with fresh pavement what that must have been like a kid in a candy store. Oh, it was huge. I mean, not just huge to me. The racetrack was huge. And it's it's going to be the, the most lonely feeling you will ever get is driving up onto this racetrack. It's just so big. And you're the only one out there that's on your team. I started 22nd in 42 cars my first race. There was no other friends out there. I didn't know a soul. Right. And... Uh, you know, Teddy Polino, Kenny Lund, and all those guys, they knew their way around every racetrack. I don't care, because they'd been racing Beechridge in the car. I mean, they were yeah. they were veterans at that point. I often hear drivers say that they succeeded in their first race because they were too scared to get run over by the guys who had been out there. Oh, you had no choice with that many cars. You went with them. Yeah. Well, they, they made you go with them. Yeah. And, and back then, it was not uncommon at this track or any other track where what now we would consider a 20-car field to be a success. Back then, there were 20 cars in four heats. Oh, yeah. All, yeah. You know, you would have 60 cars in a race. You know, in, in that 42-car field, you know, I, I started 22nd. It got so bad that they had – there was nights I didn't get to run the feature. They had 
unqualified feature, I think they call it, or something like that. We ran it some nights. And then you got hooked up with, uh, you, you raced for a little while, but then you get out of the car and started working with the likes of Merle Grover, right? Yep. Yep. And Grover's a name that's synonymous with Wiscasset Speedway, whether it's our Hall of Famers, Buster and Elaine Grover and, and, and Merle Grover, uh, that whole family. Yep. Yeah, uh, Merle had a daughter that worked in the ticket booth and uh, wasn't a bad-looking girl. <laughs> so we spent some time together, and Merle was struggling a little bit. with. He had bought a a limited car, and Merle bought it and was struggling a little bit. And so we ended up, Barney and I, and Tank, ended up helping him. Rick Bai was in on it, and we all ended up working on his car, getting him dialed in a little bit. Now, Dale, I always am interested in, in why people choose their numbers. Now, you have a very specific number, but you also have these wings that are on the number. Uh, is there a reason for that? There has to be. Yeah, it was a free coat, or three free coats to be exact. The, the Robbie Robinson owned the Dairy Queen, and he wanted to sponsor my race car, and I was already running the zero. And why were you running the zero? Uh, it was on the car when I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And uh, he he gave us three jackets that he had when he raced in Connecticut. And uh, he also gave us a cheater motor that uh, never got caught at Wiscasset. Another kind of racing I guess you've done, not only here at Wiscasset, but talk, talk about uh, Kenny Wright's... Uh, <laughs> The family racetrack out behind Kenny Wright's house. The Holly 500. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was a summer that Wiscasset didn't open, and we needed something to do. So we all built up a bunch of race cars, and I even hired my, my current wife's father, worked for Harry Crooker, and he brought a grader up and cut a racetrack into the back 40 down there to Kenny Wright's house. The last, the last work, the race we had the newspaper said was unsafe unsanctioned and anything else it wasn't good <laughs> so <laughs> that was the end of the racing at Kenny Wright's house how many guys showed up I mean besides oh. drop some names well Barney was there he raced there Kenny Wright raced there I raced there there was one of our crew Jimmy Wing that had a car that raced there uh, it was just a bunch of the local boys having a good time that's all it was now, Dale, you have had, uh, you know, you're synonymous with Wiscasset, whether it's Raceway, Speedway, Superior Speedway, hasn't always had consistent ownership. What was it like the years that the track didn't run for you as a, as a human, as a person who loves racing? Well, I, I think the Holly 500 basically spells it out. I mean, you, you do anything you got to do to race a race car. You know, it. Uh, we, in 76, I think it was... What, that seventy six, seventy eight, 78, Wiscasset didn't open. Yeah, we, mid, mid late 70s. We, yeah. uh, we built a, a sportsman car for Unity. And I think we went there three times so that we'd go up whatever, whenever Unity had a double weekend. We had a school bus, we hauled a race car. We had another school bus that we hauled, they had a camper in. And uh, we'd head for Unity and spend the weekend up there. Now you, uh, I, and I mentioned this during uh, the induction into the Hall of Fame. Um, you literally live racing, and and it's proven by you know the, the road you live on, Thunder Road. Um, 
you build race cars, you drive race cars, fabricator, owner. You've even had your hand in promoting a couple of races. Um, that, you know, talk about that love of, of racing in general. I mean, oh. it, it's it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because it, it, it's just your, my life. Uh, Adam and I have talked, you know, every at the end of every season, I expect to have him say, Dad, he said, uh, you know, maybe it's time. And uh, I expect any day for him to say that he's, he's going to spend more time with family. And I don't know what I will do. I have no clue what I will do. What have you enjoyed the most? I mean, is it the driving? Is it the, the building, the cars? Obviously I, can't be promoting races. Oh yeah, it was. That was that was cool. That really was. That that's probably the most cast that I have ever seen in this pit. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And and elaborate on that. You and Tony True got together and said, "We got to save this place." It was Save Wiscasset Raceway Day. Right. I mean, it was it was well known. Some of the neighbors didn't like this place. You know, they moved in maybe when it was shut down. They didn't know there was a racetrack or whatever. So uh, I I know enough about town government being a selectman for the town of Woolwich that I knew that if this place went a season without a race that it would lose its grandfather and that was significant to this place staying here so my sister and brother-in-law live not too far from here and they kind of kept an ear to the ground and there were grumblings going on that they couldn't wait for this place not to have a race so Josh Bailey and I would set up here in the grandstands with the grass growing up around us, so we had to move the grass so we could talk to each other <laughs> and eat lunch. And we, you know, because Josh and I, we were both young, didn't have a dollar to our name, but we cared about the place. So Tony got wind of it, and Tony knew how to do the computer side of it, and I, I was known enough so that I could get the local people here, I thought, and Tony went on to get the the out-of-town people, I mean, out-of-state people even. Mm. And uh, it was fun to do. Uh, I went through three three motors in my lawnmower. I didn't know there was such a thing as a duty cycle on a lawnmower. <laughs> and, I mean, it just... And then Ryan Chadwick showed up with his lawn, his equipment from his business. Mm. I mean, everybody, everybody showed up. It's neat watching people come out of the woodwork that really love the place and, and We had a telephone pole that was down out on the three turn and how do we set a telephone pole joey williams showed up with a crane yeah another racer yeah and it was really neat to see that all happen i I had a telephone pole at home i was supposed to put up from the for one of my trailers and that ended up over on the three turn and uh it, it just it was fun to have everybody get together it it wasn't all work to make that thing happen yeah it, it was a lot of fun had here yeah and I think it was also an opportunity to showcase the potential of what this place could be if somebody yeah. came in and, and bought it. Yeah, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was part of the reason that Richard and Vanessa were interested in the, buying the place because it, it showed that the place does have potential. Yeah, and it was overwhelming too, the number oh. of people that showed up to, to race or to support it. You know, when that whole thing started, it was going to be just, you know, Josh Baylor get his car and we'd get our car. Any Anybody around here that wanted to come over would put them in a class and go out and have a race. You know, we expected maybe 10 cars in a, a class. And we ended up with how many cars did we have here? As well over 100. I mean, it was packed on the infield, the, the 
it was it was late enough in the season, so there was a lot of mud, and because nothing had been packed down, and uh, there were people stuck everywhere in this place. But they didn't mind. I don't no. believe I heard an ill word out of that all day. Nope. And I, ironically, and I didn't want to uh, skip this, was ironically and sadly, it was Wilford Cronk's last visit to the racetrack yep. that he built was that day. Yep. Uh, I've got a great picture of uh, he and Tony True on the golf cart uh, going through the grandstands. Yeah, that was it was neat. It was a good time. That had to be such a full circle day for for Wilford to be here. Tell me what it was like. Tell me, you know, you talk about the lawnmower, but I want to know what it was like to see all the people come out of the woodwork that day. Oh, it, well, I showed up here because you know we had never opened a racetrack before, and I. I I think we made arrangements to everybody be here at like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. I I came down the hill down here and I started turning up. And the minute I turned the corner down here, there were cars lined up the roadway, and they were all the way into the pit gate. And I thought, wow, this is more cars than we had planned. Well, it didn't stop till after the the races started. I mean, it was car after car after car, and then finally we ran out of space and started putting them on the infield. Yeah. How crucial was that day to the current success of Wiscasset, do you believe? Well, if we hadn't done it, I don't think there would be a Wiscasset because I, I really, those people were just waiting for this place not to be grandfathered. Yeah, and that's that's a, a sad testament, too. That that's how things are with a lot of tracks these days, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I always joke, don't blame us, blame your realtor. <laughs> <laughs> and it, all you got to do is watch the, that Dale Earnhardt show that where he goes around to all the racetracks that was this place i mean it was scary that it, it, it was better than a hayfield out here there was nothing here yeah because it had uh no cars had run in this place since early mid 2010 yeah probably yeah i mean the the fences were ripped down people were going in here at night driving right over the fences going out there and uh have just a free-for-all. Imagine that, people driving on the racetrack when they weren't supposed to. Well, that's <laughs> that's kind of how we got to do this whole thing is yeah. because we went to the the bank that had foreclosed on it and told them, you know, you got people coming in here at night. You need somebody to at least look over this place and do something with it. And they gave us the okay to do a race because they wanted to be able to sell a functioning racetrack. Mm-hmm. Once this place wasn't grandfathered anymore – it lost all of its value, and uh, so they gave us the okay. I, I took my mortgage money. I, I, I'm self-employed, so all through the month I save up money to pay my mortgage at the end of the month. I took that to buy the insurance to do the Save Wiscasset Raceway thing. That's how close it was. I mean it. Then we found out, and that shows your dedication to the place. We 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 took other funding from the family to pay the fire marshal for the stuff he had to do. And I mean, if that day hadn't worked, Dale probably would have been without a house <laughs> and a wife. <laughs> she, she's, make, she's here to make sure that you leave with a house. Yeah, she she was making runs to Portland, wasn't it, Sherry, to get. To get the insurance and stuff. We had no idea how to do that stuff. Yeah, and and it's a learning process. You don't just show up and oh, open yeah. the gate and say let's race. There's there's a lot. And more not to just it. anybody insures a racetrack. 
What is it like to walk through the gates of Wiscasset Speedway these days for you? Uh, I have a favorite spot. It's right up, right up by the cemetery, that top of that hill. And in fact, I have a picture of Sherry and I standing there. The, I think it was Save Wiscasset Raceway Day, wasn't it, Sherry? But it's it's always been a spot where you can go and, and kind of overlook the whole place. It's my favorite spot. And I that day I was up there, Save Wiscasset Raceway Day, I was up there on top of that hill just looking around at what we had succeeded in doing. And it it was unbelievable. And to this day, that's where... I still go and watch, just just go up there and watch what goes on at the Speedway. Next time you're at Wiscasset Speedway, think of that. Next up will be part number two of Dale Chaborn's interview, where he talks about his unorthodox group of race car builders. Some of our shirts say right on the front of them, I built mine, you bought yours. And that's, that's what we do every Tuesday and Thursday night, and people are welcome to come to my shop Tuesdays and Thursday nights. We, we get a bunch of guys from the Bath Ironworks, welders, ship fitters, everything you can imagine, tin knockers, and they all come up and we build race cars that are fast. And it's just, how do you take shipbuilding and put it into a race car? But we do it. And we have fun doing it. We go out, we're still going out into the back 40 in the junkyard and getting packs for these race cars. Remember to rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Open Trailer Podcast. <laughs>